If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we will be reading Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and as you do, I want to encourage you towards a couple things. One, if you're new here, maybe this is your first time at Trailview, or you've been coming for a little while, we would love to connect with you, um, Pastor Brandon and myself, as well as help you get connected here at Trailview. And this connect card right here is the most uh, simple and direct way that we can do that. And so if you wouldn't mind at some point filling out this connect card, uh, maybe you want to join or become a part of a home group or visit some of our home groups, we'd love to help you connect with a group. Um, and we, you can check that box right there and we'll help connect you there. Maybe you've put your faith in Jesus and haven't followed him in uh, baptism after you've believed. Um, that box right there would help. We're going to do baptisms coming up in uh, a couple of months. And to help you or walk you with through the process of, of being baptized as a believer in Jesus. Or, or if you're interested in membership at Trailview or serving in some capacity, this card's the best next step for you. On the back side's a prayer card. If there's things going on in your life, uh, you're feeling the pressures of your weaknesses or, or there's just challenges you're facing or struggles, uh, this Connect card is a really easy way for you to let us know so we can pray with you. Uh, we believe God hears and moves and is moved by our prayers. And so we pray for these things. And so if you wouldn't mind filling out one of these cards for whichever side or need you need, uh, you can do a few things with it. You can drop it in that black box. You can put it in uh, there. You can use the QR codes. Or you can bring it directly to myself or Pastor Brandon. And we'd love to connect with you uh, over the next couple weeks or, or join you in prayer. Also in the back, um, they don't look like this and there actually aren't anymore. But if you have not gotten one of these ESV uh, journals on the book of Ephesians. Uh, we ordered 35 of them and y'all took them all, but we'll have another dozen of them next week. If you haven't got one, uh, they'll be back there next week um, for you. This is just a really simple and easy way for you to follow along in the scriptures, take some notes along the way as we walk through the book of Ephesians. Um, and so I want to encourage you towards this if you want to. It's not a moral law thing. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. It's fine. Use your own Bible or whatever you want to do. But it's a helpful resource to help you continue walking through there together. Um, we are starting, uh, last week we started the book or our series in the, the, in 
the book of Ephesians, but we started in Acts chapter 19 and looked at when the church was planted and all that God did to transform the city of Ephesus by people coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, this week, we actually open up and start in verse 1, and we'll continue through all of Ephesians from start to finish, uh, and then we'll finish in, um, in Revelation chapter 2 with that 40-year-later um, word from God to this same church 40 years after it was planted. And so uh, as we dive into this, uh, I want to start by just setting this, this precedent, this reality. Uh, we are all naturally heralds. It's not a word we use very commonly. What are heralds? Heralds are people who tell people stuff, right? They're people who come and they say something. They declare something. They point attention towards something. They share something. So when was the last time that you saw something? Maybe you heard something, a song, or learned something, or ate something, or enjoyed something, or read something, or watched something that you couldn't wait to tell somebody else about. That you couldn't help from posting it on social media. Maybe, maybe you're like, I don't post stuff. Either if you don't post stuff or, or, or whatnot, it's okay. Because here's the deal. We're all naturally heralds. We all naturally praise. Yes, for some of us more than others. As I was thinking through processing all of this, this reality, um, talking with my wife about it, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about this example or this example, and she goes, you're probably the best example of this. Like, if you've uh, spent much time around me, I've probably told you, it doesn't take very long for me in conversation with somebody to tell you something I find really fascinating or cool or I'm really interested in right now or this new thing that I'm trying or seeing or doing or whatnot or a story or this thing that I saw. I just, there's, I, I just can't help it. I can't help but tell other people about things that I saw or, or I'm currently watching or, or I'm reading. Earlier today, I was like, ah, I'm, re I'm reading the Silver Chair, the Narnia story to somebody as we talked about it. And it's like, oh, it's really cool. Yeah, all this stuff. We just, we just can't help but, but herald, but point people towards things that we are captivated by, that we find interesting. We are natural praisers, that we naturally praise. We naturally speak about, celebrate, draw attention towards, shout it from the rooftops, or share it on social media. Social media is probably the best example of this being innate to the very core of who we are as human beings. You go on the internet and you say what you want to say or share what you want to share. It's what the whole purpose is. It's what the platform is. It's a place where we go to herald. It's the market street where the heralds all show up and they tell everybody what they think, why they think, where they ate, what they did, this experience they had, their kid's new achievement. They walked and fell down and walked and fell down and walked and fell down and now they can walk and not fall down. That's what we do. We share, we tell, we celebrate. It's how we're made. We're made to praise. We're made to celebrate stuff. And we do it all the time. And we're quick to post and share and shout and sing the praises of our favorite sports teams or the sorrows of our favorite sports teams. When we win something, we're quick, maybe some of us more than others, to make everybody aware that we won. Maybe your favorite athlete or musical artist, or your favorite store where you bought this new thing and got a great sale, or the best food you've eaten most recently, this new restaurant in town you got to go try, 
Our kids' latest achievements, because they're all undiscovered prodigies, right? No. (laughs) Our latest hobby or current interest, we can't help but praise because it's a natural overflow of what we're created for as human beings, to praise. The problem is not our ability to praise. The problem is not that we as human beings are bad at worship. The problem isn't the ability to worship or praise. The problem is the objects of our worship and praise. What are we praising? We're far too easily pleased. Far too easily obsessed by and with created things, experiences, pleasure, sex, material things, new or some particular ideology you have, a particular way of life or doing things as a family. And when we get over-obsessed with things in the created world, we miss the forest for the trees. We're so fixated on this one little thing that we miss the whole. And the people in the city of Ephesus weren't much different than you and I. The city of Ephesus was filled with objects to worship and praise. Literally, there were over 50 Greek gods in the city of Ephesus that you could go and worship on any moment or by an icon of some form at any moment that you would like that you could begin to praise or worship or hope and work for that thing so it would bless your life in some way. It was filled with icons and artifacts and massive, like, seven wonders of the ancient world temple. There were a multitude of gods. Worship wasn't a problem. Praise wasn't a problem. The object of worship, the object of that praise, was the problem. We don't have a problem with praise. We just have bad aim. We praise... And it's not bad to celebrate things. We should be people who celebrate. But ultimately, from a posture of gratitude towards God, who's the giver of all things, not ourselves is sufficient to have or to cultivate things on our own. So Paul, when he writes this letter to this church in Ephesus, that over to them, he writes this letter to them, and he starts this letter by telling and instructing this church To praise. The first thing he says to this church is, praise God. Praise God. And so this morning we're going to look at one thing, and it's this. We praise God because we are in Christ. It's the main point of all of verses 1 through 14. It sets a foundation for the entirety of the book of uh, of Ephesians. That we praise God because we are in, for real, can't get by. One week, apparently. We praise God because we are in Christ. And so we'll look at this specifically, because Paul says, praise God, because we are in Christ. Bless us with all the blessings, specific kind of blessings. So let's look at that, verses 1 through 3. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Just want to put it out there right off the bat. The the will of God is going to be a consistent theme throughout this entire next 14 verses. And Paul says from the get-go, I am a disciple and apostle of Jesus by God's will, not my own. 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little tidbit here of information that's really cool. Uh, in a Jewish culture, similar historically to an uh, Islamic culture, what do they say when they walk into a home? Shalom, right? Shalom, peace. Peace to you. Shalom. That's how Jews would greet one another. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, greets a little bit differently. He says grace and peace. Because in Christ there's now grace and still the peace of God. That surpasses all understanding, but grace and peace to you. Verse 3 sets the foundation for the rest of this, this morning. Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 3 starts the second longest sentence in the entire Bible. Paul would have gotten all kinds of red marks from his English teacher. All kinds of them. 202 words in one sentence. No punctuation, no stops, no periods, nonstop statement, 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 statement. Why? Paul can't help. He can't help it. He can't help but just go on and on and on and on. Have you ever had that person you talk to? You ask them a question and they just like, well, well they just won't stop talking about this thing. Like, hey, how was that movie? And they just recount the whole story from start to finish. Just me and Shannon, right? <laughs> hey, it's not a good... It, we're, we're like I'm Paul, right? So, <clears throat> they just go on and on and on and on. And it's not that they're sitting here going like, okay, how can I best encapsulate this thing by talking without breathing <laughs> for 10 minutes? No, no. He cannot help but go on a rant for 202 words, unstopped. Verses 13 through 14 is one sentence. It is one rant. Why? Because Paul is so captivated, so passionate, so enamored and overwhelmed by the grace of God in Christ Jesus that he can't help it. That he can't keep it in. That he can't put a lid on it. That he can't be concise. That he can't leave anything out. He can't stop himself to even put a period. Man, how great would that be for us to be so captivated, passionate, and enamored by by the grace of Jesus that we couldn't stop talking about it. That we would just like go on rants at family dinners about how good God is. And nobody was annoyed because you were genuine. He instructs us to bless. Praise be the God of our Father. The God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him. And that's the whole instruction of the next, the next 11 verses. Paul says, praise Him, and then he praises Him. Why, though? Why is Paul so overwhelmed that he can't help but go on a rant about how amazing God the Father is in the grace of Jesus? Why? 
Because what he says in verse 3, because he has blessed us. That Paul can't help but go on a rant about how amazing God is and the grace that he's received in Jesus because of all that God has done for him. We praise God because he has blessed us in Christ. Specifically, he calls these spiritual blessings that are in a heavenly place. That these are, are a specific kind of blessing. They're a specific kind of blessing that, that we, we, we would love God to bless our lives. We want Him to bless uh, our marriages. We want Him to bless our, our parenting. There was a, like, we don't do this that much in our kind of stream of church, but there were priestly blessings. The benediction is a blessing from God's church upon you as you leave. They're these pr- pray, asking a pastor or someone, a priest or whatever, to pray over you is to ask the favor and blessing of God upon a particular aspect and area of your life. It's a good thing to do. And we want God's blessings. We want Him to bless our marriages, our families, our work, our, our productivity. We want His blessings, but these are a different kind of blessing. We know they're a different kind of blessing because He calls them spiritual blessings. So they're not necessarily physical blessings of our life. And we also know that they're a specific kind of blessing because he calls them heavenly blessings, which means they have an altogether external and out-of-this-world kind of blessing. But these blessings are only ours if we are in Christ. And he's going to say in some form or fashion, in Christ or in Him, 15 times. Fifteen times Paul's going to refer to these blessings being yours, ours, collectively, when we are in Christ. Which means they're exclusive blessings. They're not available to everybody. They're only yours if you are in Christ. And Paul can't help but rant about these blessings. Oh man, would it be great that we would be far more captivated by these spiritual heavenly blessings that are already ours in Christ than the physical, material, relational blessings that we long for in this world. That we would lift our eyes up a little bit farther to see beyond our current wants and needs of God to marvel at what we already have in Christ that is far better That we would be content, and that doesn't mean settled, but content with an overwhelming, can't help but celebrate contentment in the blessings that you already have in Jesus. Far more obsessed with that than we are about the blessings we long for here, now. So these are heavenly blessings. They're out of this world kind of blessings. They're not They're not earthly blessings. And they're blessings that are only ours in Christ. If you are in Christ. And so Paul, from this point forward, he goes down through and he begins to outline these blessings. To show these spiritual, heavenly blessings that are yours in Christ. That are only yours if you are in Christ. And so we're going to walk through these um, to kind of set the stage and kind of give you a pathway for where we're going. 
Uh, we're going to look at these blessings, and these blessings are, one, God has chosen us. That's a blessing, a heavenly blessing, a spiritual blessing that he has chosen us. Two, blessing that God has redeemed us. And three, that God has given us an inheritance. And so let's look at it. Let's start with that first spiritual heavenly blessing that Paul outlines for us. God has chosen us. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. It says this in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul starts off by setting the foundation of these spiritual blessings by saying, the first of which is that He chose you. That He chose you. And to clarify, Paul never uses the individual language. He says He chose us. That He chose us. Even as He chose us. He elaborates again and he says, he predestined us for adoption. I don't know like if you are familiar with adoption. Maybe it's the concept or maybe personally. In adoption, the parents choose, choose to make that child their own. They're not compelled by. The child doesn't write an essay showing their worthiness to be adopted. The parents choose to make that child their own. In the same form, Paul says, leading from this point forward, on his rant about why we should be overwhelmed, obsessed with the goodness of God, he starts by saying, because he chose you to be his. That he predestined you to be his son or his daughter in Jesus. We were God's creation, but we were not God's children. His, hostile towards God, enemies of God, is how the New Testament writes it or describes it, rebelling against God at the core of our being uh, because we, we choose to rebel in sin against God. We reject Him, both in religious activity and in rebellion. We reject Him in religious activity by saying, God, I don't need Your grace, I'll earn Your grace. I'll be good enough that you'll love me. And we reject the gospel. We reject him in rebellion when we shake our fists at God and believe that we know better for our lives. See, God has always been a choosing God. Always. He chose to create. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob, not Esau. He chose Joseph, not his 11 brothers. He chose David over Saul and the rest of his brothers. Jesus chose the 12 disciples. It's dangerous of us to think that we now are different. And that God would change how he does things. Interesting about this, Paul doesn't just say flat out he chose us, he predestined us, but he gives us a time frame. 
When did God choose you? When did God choose us? When did God adopt us? Well, before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world, God chose us. And the interesting thing about the time of God's electing is super significant. Why? Because it removes every capable merit of us to earn, boast, or deserve God's grace or love. We literally bring nothing to the table because He chose us to be His sons and daughters before we ever existed. And this isn't a God looked forward in time, saw that you would believe, saw that you would trust in Him, and based on that foreknowledge, then decided He would make you His. It doesn't say that. No, He chose us when we were completely unable to merit, earn, or deserve being His sons and daughters. Why? For the praise of His glorious grace. So that we would praise Him. But what would motivate God to act in this way? What would move and motivate God to choose us before the foundation of the world, to predestine us for adoption as sons and daughters? What would motivate God to do that? Well, Paul tells us, in love. But not just in love. Uh, the English translation of the word purpose in verse 5, where it says, according to the purpose of his will, uh, that word purpose uh, could probably more accurately be translated pleasure or desire. So what would motivate God to choose us? Well, the same thing that would motivate a parent to adopt a child. Or should. Love. That God loved so much that before we were ever capable of even meriting His, which we can't, choosing, He chose us. And in His good pleasure, that it brought pleasure, the pleasure of His will for you to be His son or daughter. This mystery, it is a mystery. A mystery of how God's sovereignty works in salvation. It is a mystery. A mystery that should stir up in us humility and thanksgiving. Gratitude. Praise. That God sovereignly, because of love and good pleasure, made you his son or daughter. So that he would be glorified in your holiness and blamelessness. And love he chose you before the foundations of the world so that you would be holy and blameless before him. So that you would be set apart without spot or impurity, but without sin. See, the holiness and blamelessness that comes to God's people is a a, an effect of His choosing. He chose us 
And the result of his choosing is our holiness, which means our sanctification, becoming more like him, is the fruit of being his children, not an effort to earn the right and place to be his children. God chooses, and in his choosing, he makes his children holy and blameless. And I want to just clarify, this isn't without human responsibility. We'll get to the end of this next this, this paragraph, this rant, and Paul says, these blessings are yours because you heard and believed. I'm going to put a quote up here for us to look at and read. And as it's coming up, uh, one author wrote it this way, uh, specifically in telling a story, uh, a made-up story to communicate um, uh, some aspects of who God is. You may be familiar with C.S. Lewis. Uh, in, um, in the series, The Chronicles of Narnia, he does a really beautiful job of displaying the character and nature of who God is in the character of Aslan who's the Jesus-like, God-like character that's a big line in the story. Um, there's a point in one of the stories where these two kids, they are like, we want to go to Narnia, and they, they like do this enchantment thing to hope they get to Narnia, and they end up going to Narnia, and then they get there, and one of them's talking to Aslan, and she's like, well, we got here because we said we wanted to be here, because we asked to come here. And Aslan says, you could not have called to me unless I had been calling to you which beautifully encapsulates the sovereignty of God in choosing and the responsibility of mankind. And here's another quote that is helpful to just kind of put this into perspective for us. And this will be up on the screen. You can follow along or take a picture of what you want to do. The doctrine of election is a divine revelation, not a human speculation. It was not dreamed up by Martin Luther or John Calvin or St. Augustine, if you don't know any of these people, oh well, or by the Apostle Paul for that matter. It is not to be set aside as an imagination of uh, some overreacting religious minds, but rather humbly accepted as the revelation from God, however mysterious it may be. We must never allow our subjective experience of choosing Christ to water down his water down the fact that he would have not cho- we would have not chosen him if he had not first chosen us. So is there human responsibility? Absolutely. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is there a responsibility on us to believe? Yeah. Is God before the foundations involved in that? Yeah. Is it a mystery? Yeah. It's a mystery that should lead us to praise God. Even when we don't understand. That He, overflowing with love, and good pleasure chose us to be his sons and daughters. So the first spiritual blessing Paul outlines for us in this is that God has chosen us. He's chosen us out of the world for his glory, out of an overflow of his love. The second one is this, that he has redeemed us. The second spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is that he has redeemed us. And so look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Says this, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, what's the second spiritual blessing? God has redeemed us. 
Let me tell you a story that kind of helps illustrate and unpack what it means to, uh, to redeem. So I put, put this in perspective. Imagine there's a boy who builds a model sailboat. He builds a model sailboat. Him and his dad work hard at it, and then they go out to the lake, and they, they're going to drive it around. And they set it in the water, and they're driving it around, and it's this beautiful, impeccable, perfect boat. But the wind's not blowing in. The wind's blowing out. And the wind catches the sails of this sailboat that he made and it drags it out into the ocean and it's lost. The sailboat's gone. It's gone. He no longer has it. Heartbroken at the loss of this boat that he made, he returns home. And a few months later go by and the boy's walking down the local uh, shop street and he sees in the window the very same boat he built but lost sitting in the window for sale. And he goes in and he talks to the shopkeeper and he says to the shop owner, hey, that's my boat. I want it back. I made it and I went to play with it and it was carried off into the lake and it's mine. I want it back. And the shopkeeper says, no, I mean, it, it's mine. I, a fisherman brought it to me. I bought it from him. And so it's for sale but it's going to cost you. So the boy, overwhelmed with the complex emotions, one, he knows where his boat is, but two, now he has to purchase it back. He goes home and he begins to devise a plan to, to make enough money to go and purchase back for himself this precious boat he created and lost. So he rakes the leaves and he mows the yard and he helps his neighbors with their stuff and does a little knick-knack stuff, and he raises, and he gets enough money, and he returns. He returns to that shop, and he goes in, overwhelmed with joy, and he pays the price to the shop owner to receive back what was his originally, his boat. What he created but was lost, he redeemed. He paid a price in order to have back what was originally his but lost. In the same way, for God to redeem you and I, us as his children, it was not free. Created by him, yes. But it required payment. That we were, no, we were enslaved to sin. And it cost God. It cost him the blood of Jesus. And so God, out of overflow of love for us and in his good pleasure, gave us his son, buying us out of slavery to sin, freeing us and making us his own. And along with that redemption comes the forgiveness of sin. That we're forgiven of sin. That we, we are redeemed and we are forgiven in Christ. And then along with that redemption comes the lavished grace of God. The word grace means unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor and love. That God has given you freely when you did not deserve His favor and His love. But it cost it costs greatly. 
It costs the blood of Jesus. He uses the word lavish here. The word lavish means abundantly provided. Which means the blood of Jesus was far more abundant Far more than enough to pay for your sins. But nothing less would do. That the blood of Jesus was necessary for your redemption from sin and death. And it was far more than enough to pay for all your sin and mine. But nothing short of that would do. In the gospel, we've been redeemed forgiven and the grace of God has been poured out in abundance upon you when you did not deserve it why because his love and good pleasure of how his people that he chose before the foundations of the world of how he was going to pay the payment for sin and it was the sufficient blood of Jesus to cover all sin. More, far more abundant than all your sin. We like to say it this way at Trove You can't out the grace of God. You can't out the mercy and grace of God. That there's no one who is unredeemable. There's no... No one who has done so much wrong that God does not have abundantly more grace available to them in Jesus. That God is faithful to forgive and be gracious towards all who are in Christ. Which is great news because here's the deal. If you are in Christ, you've believed the gospel that you've heard. He has lavished His grace upon you. Far more abundant grace than you need. Because it is so great, it outmatches every sin you've ever committed. His mercy can't be outmatched over or outpaced by your sin. Which should move us to praise God. Praise God that He would be so gracious to us, so great of sinners. It should move our hearts when we are in Christ towards honest ownership. A culture of confession and repentance where we come humbly before God knowing that there is abundant grace for us even as we continue to struggle and sin. You may have heard the song, Grace, Grace, God's Grace far more grace than our sin, or His mercy is more. Our sins may be many, His mercy is more. And the grace of Jesus wasn't only sufficient for you, it was sufficient for all of us in Christ. To cover all sin. But the grace, the lavished grace, redemption and forgiveness of sin is only for those who are in Christ. So 
So are you in Christ? Have you heard the gospel and believed? Paul says, it is near to you today. Don't wait, believe. Hear the gospel and believe. And receive the lavished grace, favor, love, forgiveness, redemption of Jesus. How are we made his sons and daughters? By the blood of his son. So what's the second blessing? That God has redeemed us in Christ. So we praise him. We praise him because we have been redeemed. And the third one, we praise him because he has given us an inheritance. That he has given us an inheritance. Just to clarify, all of these are past tense. Like, like he has chosen us, past tense. He has redeemed us, past tense. He has given us, past tense. Something to ultimately receive, but past tense. Look at me in verse 11 through 14. This idea that's clearly in here, that we have, he, he, God has given us an inheritance. In verse 11 it says, In him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For those of us who are in Christ, we have obtained, we have received, we have been given an inheritance. And here's the deal. Inheritance is only given to children. That's how it's intended to be. Like, I, one day, uh, will receive an inheritance from my parents. You won't. Sorry. <laughs> Why? Because you're not their kids. You're not their kids. The whole idea and concept of an inheritance is a God-structured God thing. God-instilled thing that we receive inheritance from our parents. Strangers, friends, don't. They don't. They didn't. We have obtained, past tense, an inheritance. Why? Because in Jesus we are the children of God. And children receive an inheritance. What is that inheritance? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a reward in some sense, but it's not a reward for something we've done. It's a reward that we share in because of what Jesus has done. What is that inheritance? That inheritance is eternal life. That our inheritance that we have obtained is eternal life. That by faith in Jesus, Hearing the gospel and believing, we are in Christ. We are his sons and daughters, and as his sons and daughters, we receive the reward that Jesus earned in his perfect righteousness as the Son of God. We now are sons and daughters of God, and we receive eternal life. 
It's ours. But it's not just ours. Paul says, it's ours just the way it's always been everyone who trusted and was a child of God. That it's yours just the same way it was Paul's. And Matthew. And John. And Luke. And Bartholomew. And Nathaniel. And probably Mary. And all the other disciples. And the crew that planted the church at Ephesus. That it's yours and mine. Eternal life. The inheritance of children of God. It's yours and mine. Obtained. Received. When we believe the gospel. That when we hear and believe, we receive and obtain eternal life. Not only are we given this inheritance, this inheritance is completely secure. It's completely secure. That we're not at risk that our Father would run out of money and not give us any inheritance. We're not at risk that our inheritance would be squandered by our siblings. No. Our inheritance of eternal life is secure. So we have in Christ complete assurance of eternal life. How? How? Because He gave us the Holy Spirit. That's what he says in verse 13. We were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The word sealed uh, could be translated branded, like a cow. Or embossed, like if you have like a leather or something and you like stamp into it. Or like a notary stamp, where they, now they're like a stamp that used to be like a clamp thing that pressed it into the paper and you could try your best, but it's never going to go away because it was forever pressed into that piece of paper. The word sealed here means that we are now His. This seal, this branding, is a mark of ownership. That we are now sealed forever as the children of God. We are branded, marking us as His. Stamped as sons and daughters. By the promise of the Holy Spirit, which we receive when we believe. So our eternal life, our inheritance is secured because God has given us the Holy Spirit as the ownership stamp that we are in Christ. So if you struggle with the question of, man, am I a Christian? Well, is the Holy Spirit present and dwelling in you? If so, He testifies that you are a son or daughter of Christ. That's what Romans 8, 15, and 16 say. The work of the Holy Spirit is to testify to us that we are sealed as His sons and daughters. A whole bunch of other things, but that one foundationally. The other thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit's not only the seal of ownership on us as sons and daughters, but it is our guarantee. That it is our guarantee. That's what he says. The promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The word guarantee here can be translated or kind of pictured as a down payment. 
A down payment on a house. Think about it. You, you take however much money, 30, 40, 50, whatever down payment house money you got, you, you put that down payment on, and then you now have access to the house. It's yours. Right? Sure, kind of, yes. It's yours. You live in it. It's yours. You have ownership of it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. It's the down payment of the eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. And no one can take that away. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the seal of that. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee that we will be with God forever. See, Paul goes on this rant. He goes on this rant about all that we have to bless God for. And he starts, that God has chosen you to be a son or daughter, that he's redeemed you from sin, covered your sin, gave you forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And he has promised and given you an inheritance, eternal life. So my encouragement to us today is this. If you are not in Christ, that you would come to him, that you would hear the gospel, the good news, that in Jesus, by faith, all of these can be yours. If you just come and believe that he is the Son of God sent to die in your place, that God, that he died in your place and that he rose from the dead, and by faith in him you have all of these blessings. So believe in Jesus today. Second, my encouragement to us is that we would long for an overwhelming delight in Jesus like Paul has here. That we couldn't help but praise him. We couldn't help but praise him for all that he has done for us in Jesus. And that we would be God's people on mission to make disciples so that all those who hear would believe. So that we would live on mission, making disciples. So people would hear the gospel and they would believe and also share in these blessings. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you. You have been so good to us. That you have rescued and saved. That you have redeemed that you have called us out of darkness, that you have made us yours. Father, would you help us to not grow, uh, grow stale or passive, that we would not take for granted all that you have done for us, that we would be obsessed by all that you have done. That you've freely done for us. Thank you for loving us. For loving us enough, so much, that you would lavish, provide in abundance, grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.